0: Sex is the life force energy that runs through us all. The link between sex, creativity, and the sense of aliveness is strong. Can you use sexual energy for your spiritual evolution? Or perhaps for emotional healing? Is it even possible? Clinical sexologist Dr. Martha Tara Lee will explore all these and more on the Eros Evolution Show here on OM Times Radio and TV.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to Eros Evolution. This is where sexuality and spirituality meets. So I have with me uh, Vanessa Chua. She has always wanted to be a mother, and her journey to losing three angel babies has transformed her grief energy into supporting others whose babies are gone too soon. Today's show is called Grief Kicks In When Your Body Is Failing You. So more about Vanessa Chua. She is the first... A pregnancy and infant loss coach in Southeast Asia and is a certified advanced grief recovery specialist. Featured in Channel News Asia and Sassy Mama, Ma, her story has uh, been published in a book called Rise Up and others uh, encouraging stories to light up and resilience, to shine light and resilience. So she's also been interviewed by Mom Space and The Finder. So, there was an infection that affected her, attacked her right ear in 2012, so she removed her hearing bones as was permanently 100% right ear deaf. She had a baby in 2018 uh, and yet received another shocking news that the same infection has attacked her face in 2019. So she lost her facial nerves and the possible ability to smile and have clear speech with her child. So uh, Vanessa is no stranger to different types of grief. So you may find the sadness in grief intense and uneasy. Yet she finds uh, comfort in supporting others to release and move forward through coaching, support group, mindfulness, art, somatic and journaling experience. So she's now the founder of Mindful Space, which is the first physical platform that allows holistic and fun play-based activities for parents and children. So you can find her at uh, Vanessa.com. Coach. That's V R N E S S A. Uh, it's a special tra- uh, spelling. So V R N E S S A, and uh, Instagram pregnancy dot loss uh, You also have a website, right?
2: Yes. So
1: uh mindfulspace.com Yes, correct. Website. Okay, mindfulspace. So uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. (laughs) So um, I'm sure all of us are very interested to hear about your journey after that introduction. So uh, yeah, please uh, share with us more. Yep, yep. So just
2: a slight correction, um, it's 2016 when the infection occurred.
1: Yeah, I heard you say 2012.
2: All right, um, today we're going to actually talk about a really heavy topic, grief. Um, And it's a topic that most of the time, you know, people kind of avoid, we're not too sure how to talk about it, we're not too sure how, what to say, how to hold space. Um, and it's kind of quite taboo in, in some culture um, to talk about death. Um, but if you think about it, death is the only thing that none of us can actually escape. But yet, we are afraid of it sometimes. Um, and when we talk about grief, People always kind of think about death, but actually there are more than 40 types of different losses, tangible and intangible losses. So grief is normal and natural. And what is the definition of grief? Maybe we can go into that a bit. So grief is basically when you feel conflicted, the conflicting feelings caused by the end or a change in a family pattern or behavior. Okay. So it can be a death, but it can also be. Getting married because that changes, you know, the the whole routine and lifestyle, and now you're going to be with someone else. Sometimes when you feel sad, sometimes if you're happy, it's it's two conflicting feelings. Um, it it can be change of work environment, it can be pregnancy, it can be retirement, it can be troubles, you know, financially at home or you know with in laws. During the COVID, um, we see a lot of people going through grief because it was, um. Change in working hours or condition, you know, change in the social activities, um, change in the number of family reunions, you know, uh, eating habits, going out or sleeping habits. This can also be grief. Other types of intangible loss can be loss of trust, loss of safety, loss of connection, loss of approval, or even loss of control of my body. So just a little bit of definition of the grief before we kind of head in. Um, so we understand that it doesn't necessarily always means death, right? Sometimes people have that uh, resonate grief with death. It can be as long as there's a stop or end or change in your behavior uh, or pattern um, that you are used to. Okay. And here today, I'll talk about a few things of the grief that I actually go through and uh, my journey to who I am today. Um my when my body initially failed to have a baby i as a woman kind of feel ashamed right um, because i was quite a healthy eater you know i quite a healthy lifestyle um and i got very frustrated angry why is this occurring again and again you know and and the message um that society is sending me uh, and myself is sending myself uh, especially it's like I'm, I'm not good enough, you know, um, at that age where all your friends are starting to get babies, you know, social media is bombarded with gender reviews, baby shower, you know, my baby crawling, baby birthdays, it's, it starts to get into me a little, um, almost there is a sense of needing that validation and approval that, oh, I'm part of this, you know, I'm part of this society, I'm okay, you know, um, that sense of belonging, and then when relatives starts to ask you during like Chinese New Year or gathering, that's that's one of the things that I didn't really enjoy a lot. Because it kind of makes me feel like something is missing and I'm not there yet. And oh, and I really, really, um, I really get annoyed when sometimes people tell me like, oh, you understand when you're a mother, you will know when you're a mother, you know, now you don't understand yet. Because kind of, that kind of fits on to like, ah, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're still not there yet. You don't know yet, right? Um, so my, my first and second was, uh, what people would call, uh, unplanned pregnancy loss, which is, um, in other words, miscarriage. I kind of don't like to use the word miscarriage sometimes cause it brings the negative connotation of like, I intentionally miscarry the baby. Um, yeah, but a lot of times it's, it's beyond, uh, what we can do at that time. Um, my third pregnancy loss was a planned loss and that was really, really hard uh, even initially for me to come out to actually talk about the story um, because what people would call abortion and immediately there's that judgment, right? Oh my God, you abort the baby. You know, what kind of mom are you? What kind of women are you? Um, but then I was like, as I start to come out and I start to hear the story of other people, I realised that it's actually a very powerful journey uh, of empowering myself and others as well. Uh, A lot of women started to come out and and tell me like, Vern, you know, I've never ever told someone that I've actually aborted, not even my spouse. Some of them say, I didn't have a choice at that time because my relationship was abusive and I need to get out of the relationship. If I have a baby, you know, the the child will be stuck, you know, and it will be victimised um so there was a lot of story behind that um for me i needed to abort uh i'm not justifying um, what i did was right but i'm just saying that my reason that i need to let go of the baby which was a really 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 tough one um maybe if i tell you the reason i tell you the journey first um my first two pregnancies you know um people The old old wives tale, especially in Asia, you know, not to tell anyone until you pass the first trimester, until you pass the three months mark. Um, And and I'm a person who doesn't really believe in old wives tale, neither do I follow. Um, And then when I lost my second one, I was like, "Mm, maybe there's no harm, you know, maybe I'll try. So I actually flew back home uh, to stay with my mom, and I did everything the old wives tale kind of, like, you know, um, don't do rigorous exercise, you know, um, be gentle. So I just eat and sleep every day and being far away from my husband that uh, I wasn't too happy about because I feel a bit lonely. Um, And then I didn't even tell my close friends. They were near near me. But by the 12-week mark, I remember very clearly. I was very, very excited because I was like, ah, this is it. I can finally go out and tell my friends and do my things, have a life because... For the past three months, I was just like eating, sleeping, watching TV, reading books, and was just staying very domestic, which uh, is not very in in me, you know, not very natural for me. Um, And during the scan, there was a moment of silence. And immediately, that awkward silence felt very, very familiar, very familiar to me. And I started to... Get a little bit like okay it's coming again and then he's like oh can you turn to your left again and right again but I could see the heartbeat I could see the heartbeat so I was like there's heartbeat so so you know because the first two there wasn't a heartbeat right and um when he told me that the baby's organs were outside of the baby I literally just broke down I I, I didn't know what to think of at that time. He'd say, you know, the baby's stomach, what's outside of the baby? Uh, The baby intestine, what's outside of the baby? So if you were to deliver the baby, um, it would have challenge with eating, breathing, digesting, going to a toilet. Um, It would need to be on tubes. um, And then they would try to push all the organs, make a hole and push all the organs back after they deliver. And we're like, okay, okay, let's research it see what's the possibility and at that time the doctor um actually kind of hinted us that um, he thinks it's wiser to actually let go and at that time I was like no 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 it's it's we have hope we have hope we're gonna we're gonna try. Um I and I think we we were struggling for the for two weeks you know trying to make it work and the point the turning point was uh, when my dad kind of pulled my spouse out. And say, you know, we have lost. So I lost a brother before. So my parents lost a son before. And he said, the journey it's very, very painful to to deliver a child out in the world and then see them suffering and going through all the pain and the tubes and always in hospitals and asking when can I play and run again. Um, It's it's just so, so much harder. And whether we have the finance to actually be with the child because one of us wouldn't be able to work. We need to be 24-7. The child needs us very dependent, You know, whether eating, pooing, sleeping, breathing, even breathing, the basic things, right? Um, you know, it's because if you don't have the finance, then what's going to happen? You know, it's going to suffer more. And that, that was a really hard decision. Um, and pulling off the plug was, I think, the most, um, to today, the most difficult. Uh, moment in my life because what happens is the baby's organs was outside of the baby and literally the doctor has a really really long needle to put through my stomach to reach the baby and try to reach his heart to stop but the baby was facing uh so the it was instead of facing upwards towards the belly button because of its organs it was very heavy it was facing backwards so the needle was just there waiting for the right moment to stop the heart and we we were just waiting and, and that's such a killer. I remember the minute it stopped the heart, I broke down so bad um, because I took its life away. Right? I didn't give it a, a chance. um, And I was just trying to say, you know, I'm so sorry that I need to do this. I really wish I don't have to do this. And it was a very intense journey. And the doctor needed the body to realize that the baby is no longer there because I already did DNC two times and he doesn't want me to do any more DNC. So I actually need to deliver the baby out. But because the baby's organs were outside of the baby, it got stuck at the birth canal as well. And I remember the doctor telling me that, you know, um, the, the pain is gonna come. It's intense. Let us know so we can give you painkillers. Um, I I didn't ask for painkillers. And he when he came and he's finally realizing that I'm delivering. He said, "Why didn't you ask for painkillers?" I think at that time my emotional pain was so strong. I didn't feel that um, physical pain. Um, yeah. So after I delivered the child, I think even to today, I I do um, miss. The child a lot and i i didn't understand why at that time the doctor asked me do you want to see your child and at the time it was very just like okay let's just get this done and over with and i was like nah it's okay and when he asked me the nurse and doctor asked me for the third time i was like okay maybe there's a reason and i'm so glad i did i just came up and see um at the same time i i feel very sad because its intestines and stomach were outside. It, it The first flash was reminding me of the animal sometimes that's on the road and all the stomachs and everything are out. So um, that was my last uh, picture, like, you know, memory of, of my child. Um, so it was very intense in that sense. Um, and and then I think what, what was even more challenging after that um, was... What happens when others say things that actually hurt um are, are you okay if i just go through my, yeah okay um i i start to have people you know constantly asking me why did it happen so what did the doctor say you know dah, dah. and it wasn't really so much to support me it's just to fill in the answers they need for their questions you know, and and that really uh, frustrates and upset me. You know, so everyone comes and asks the same question. Oh, so what happened? What did the doctor say? Why? Why is it like that? And then when they get the answers, they're like, Oh, okay. They will start giving you their own theory of what they think might be the case of what happened to you, and kind of basically be your doctor. Um, and I I didn't need that because it's it's almost like if your friend tell you, Hey, you know what? I got cancer you're going to ask a friend like, oh, why do you get cancer? How do you get cancer? You don't ask questions like that. Um, But sometimes people can be uh, a bit more insensitive. um, And and I just didn't like the fact that a lot of people were just asking uh, for their own needs instead of my needs. Um, So then I started to tend to uh, avoid people who are less supportive um, and also um, crying a lot. That's how I release my energy. Um, so I'm not afraid to cry, uh, even to today. You know, I'm okay to hold space with myself when I feel frustrated or angry, and kind of just sometimes need to talk to someone or just cry it out, um, so that it kind of get out of my system, right? And then I also learn to cope better each time with uh, with people saying, telling me negative things. I'll just smile and just walk away because I realized if I channel too much energy, my anger and sadness towards them is really not worth, you know, because it's taking a toll out of my body you know Um, so that's when I prefer not to focus on people's negative um, comments but then I also after that kind of reflected upon it and say you know what actually sometimes they have very good intention it's just that they don't know what to say or how to say so they're like, oh, maybe it's because you drink cold drinks. Maybe it's because you, you walk off down the stairs, you know, all these like superstitious things. But actually what they really kind of mean is it's, they, they have good intentions to just want you to be okay. But, you know, I don't know. Okay, this is a BRGV, generalization. Uh, maybe I can say in, in my context, in this Asian context, there's a lot of negative uh, affirmation sometimes, a negative re-infor- reinforcement. Um, because it almost sometimes make me doubt the things I do. Whether is this right, maybe they are right. You know. And I start to blindly follow uh, other people's uh, wives' tales. Uh, and then I was like, nah nah, this, this couldn't be it. Uh, when I had my third loss, and remember I told you I had that three months period of just following all the old rules, right? Um, I told myself like, you know what, if shit really wants to happen, it happens. doesn't matter whether I follow or I don't follow. So then I started to read more, and then I started to make sure I have professional advice more to actually ground myself with science and facts instead of just following blindly what people want me to do and asking myself, why do I really want to be a mother so badly? What happens if I'm never going to be a mother? So I think asking myself this really, really deep question, let me peel the layer that's inside me. Yeah. Yeah, um, so that I I feel for me the grief goes basically in in me into my body and it and the trauma and everything stays in my body because at that time I didn't really know how to release it. So if I look back at the sequence of activities in two thousand and ten, I knew. I had an ear infection. Uh, But the doctor didn't want to open and operate it because they feel like if they were to open it, they're going to introduce more things to it. And, you know, the doctor can only see what, and um, the doctor can only see and diagnose based on your CT scan, your X-ray, your MRI scan, you know, and it's black and white and things like that. Um, But whether they can see something there, but whether it's liquid, whether it's, um, other forms, they're not too sure. And and I went to about seven different ENTs and they told me like, I think, you know, there's no need for surgery because the moment we open it up, it might introduce new infection or be more vulnerable. So I kind of just keep it there. But then 2014, I lost my second child. 2016, I lost my... Um, that child, very, very closely right after that, my infection that has been inside me for the past five, six years, suddenly just started to attack me very, very aggressively. Um, and by the time I went to the doctors, right, the doctors say, oh, you're actually one-year death. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't realize that. Um, and some of uh, the people was, was asking me, wait a minute, but what makes you first go for a checkup, right, um, to test your auditory back in 2010? And that's also a really funny story because my cousin at that time used to live with me and she gets really, really frustrated with me. And one day she just shouted at me and say, you know what, I think, you're really, I think you're really deaf. You can't really hear what I say to you all the time. And then I was like, oh, really? Maybe I should really go for a check. And that's how I actually found out in 2010 I had a new infection. Um, and they told me not to do anything about it. But what I realized after my third pregnancy loss, the, the grief in me kind of agitated the whole thing. It got uh, more invasive, right? Because I feel you can we can manipulate what our brain wants us to believe, right? Um, if you tell your brain enough times, you'll kind of believe it's true. But I think the body doesn't lie. Now that also started my journey. Like, hmm, maybe there's a lot of trauma Maybe um there's, there's a lot more grief than I knew how to cope. Um, then I became learning about somatics, became a pregnancy loss coach, learning about grief recovery. Um, but when I initially find out that I was hundred percent one year deaf, shock is one for sure um, because you know it's it's been benign for so many years. Um, and I remember very, very clearly, I was able to manifest and hold my body to be okay for a lot of events. So giving you an example, when my ear infection hit, the doctors didn't have a slot for me yet. Um, The doctor that I have was three months uh, waiting list, so I needed to wait for three months. Um, And I remember because the infection kind of add up my hearing bones, and every day, it's basically like termites, whatever it comes across it kind of eat it up, so my flesh my bones my nerves, so basically can you imagine every single day, you're not too sure what it is it's like a knife kind of like um, peeling each layer of you and I was in so much pain, there were days I couldn't even get up from my bed, the minute I get up I got vertical and I start puking um, and it, it was just really intense and then when I told the doctor, I'm not too sure if I can wait three more months. And he was like, oh my God, your condition is actually quite bad. Can you come in? We, we, we need to do the surgery as soon as possible, right? Um, and I realized my coping mechanism at that time was I was trying to be strong. Uh, not so some, for myself, yes, but also for others. I was worried that I was going to be a burden for other people. So I was trying to stay as positive as I can. My husband at that time was very worried. And you know, I was like, oh, how are you going to be coping? And I was like, you know what? The good thing is I'm already one year deaf like without even me realizing it because the infection add up my hearing bones. So there's a gap, right? So when some way, through, it cannot actually reach um, my cochlea because there's a gap on, in my bones. Um, so I told him that, you know, it's okay. At least I got the other ear. So I 100% deaf in my right ear and I just purely listen to my left ear. And because I'm a, as you can see, I'm quite a chatty person. I didn't even have uh, time for Dr. Mata to ask me any questions yet. I told him that, um, it's okay because at least I can still talk. Um, I'll be more depressed if I can't talk. Right. So I can hear and I can still talk. That's okay. And I remember me being, trying to be very strong for the people around me. Um, but inside me, am I scared? Hell yeah. I am scared too. Right. Um, but that's part of me coping, right? um and 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 then i started joking saying, you know what now literally i have selective hearing uh and you know i could also t- tell my husband that now that you know hear- i just need to sleep on the other side and i can't hear you you know it's like a mute button right um but then of course the other grief because uh i could not dive again um they reconstructed my hearing drums um, so it's a fake one. It's not really a functional one. So I can't actually uh, equalize myself. So that was also a grief because I used to be able to dive and I can't dive anymore. So you know different patterns of grief, right? Um, yeah. Do you have any questions for me before I continue?
1: No, I just really appreciate you um, sharing with us your story. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and then. Um, that, that kind of passed. So I've like 20 worst teachers, you know, and i was like, okay, that's, that's gone, you know, but the doctor did say to me that in your lifetime, there's a 10% chance of reoccurrence, you know, and I was like, but I'm healthy, I'm young, I'm okay, you know. Um, and then 2018, I got pregnant, right. Um, and no, sorry, 2017, because I delivered her in 2018. Um, how did I feel when I was pregnant again? Was I scared? Was I anxious? Um, Yes, I was excited, yet what if it happens again? And I think this this is um, what a lot of moms who got pregnant with their rainbow baby uh, feel when they share with me, like, they're always constantly, is there heartbeat? Is there, you know, am I doing things right, you know? um, And I remember I told myself, you know, on your third pregnancy, I tried to do everything that people kind of tell me that I should do, but she still happens. So yeah. this time, so, well, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> uh, sorry, but we do have a break, and we'll come back, and uh, Vanessa will share her story more later.
0: Yep. OM Times TV. Imagine becoming a super-influencer, reinvent yourself, invest in your brand, and then manifest your success with a robust, spheric approach. Own Times Media and Broadcasting offers a unique and multifaceted way to become the spiritual and conscious influencer you deserve to be, by putting your message across our powerful platform with its proven record of integrity and excellence. Through our produced shows, OM Times offers the opportunity to become a social media TV personality, a radio show host, an OM Times magazine columnist, and a syndicated podcaster, all in one shot. By live streaming your show on OM Times TV and broadcasting it across the extensive OM Times radio and TV networks, you become more than a host. You become an ambassador and a force for positive change. Own times open yourself to the possibilities. If I could be you and you could be me for just one hour if we could find a way to get inside
2: each other's minds,
0: walk a mile in my
2: shoes,
0: walk, walk a mile in my, in my shoes. My shoes.
1: Well before you abuse, criticize and accuse, walk a mile in my shoes Hi, welcome back I'm with Vanessa Chua And uh, today we're talking about pregnancy loss So just before the break, uh, she was sharing about uh, the loss of her three babies And uh, how she got pregnant uh, for a fourth time uh, So and also her her hearing loss on her right ear So you can check out her website at myfospace.com. So thank you uh, for sharing your story. So you started to uh, share about um, how you got pregnant for a fourth time
2: Yep, by the way,
1: it's hg. Uh, ah, right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's fine. Um, so yeah, when I got pregnant for the fourth time, I told myself like, Vanessa, you can go through what you've been through and just stay home and do all those things, you know. Um, or you can let your child experience and see the world, feel the world through your womb. I don't know whether this child is going to make it or is whether going to see this world. But in this moment, this bonding, this journey... What do i want do i want my child to be having fear and living you know feeling that emotions in me is always anxious right or do i want my child to you know maybe it's a short moment but it's a good moment so there are days that are you know when there's less kids, i'll be like hmm, okay maybe things might happen again but also telling myself If a miscarriage or loss is going to happen, there's nothing I can do to stop it anyway, right? I've already eat healthy, sleep healthy, do all the things I can. Um, A lot of things are beyond control. So, you know, as long as I'm not like being unhealthy, life goes on because there's nothing much I can do. So with that mentality, with that mentality, I remember very, very clearly, then I actually went to travel to Nepal and hike oh well while well, Elwana is actually my big, my, my womb. Uh, and of course, I, I didn't tell anyone except my husband and doctor visit. Right? I did tell my parents because uh, not a good example. okay And I hope that when my daughter grows up, she doesn't follow my footsteps. But I, I don't like to be nagged. Um, so I tend to do things then tell right but I make sure like the doctor say it's safe you know don't go over 10,000 feet um, make sure there's enough oxygen make sure there's a hospital nearby we kind of change the path uh, that we hike in Nepal we had a porter to carry my things instead of me carrying you know because um, this is our second trip there uh, and I remember um, we I continue to work I continue to go for family gatherings, for weddings in, in seven different countries, you know, Japan, Hong Kong, Australia, Philippines, Malaysia. Um, and what was very, very empowering for me was I took a hypnobirthing course. And that was a life-changing for me. Because in the hypnobirthing course, it basically tells you for thousands and thousands of years, women has body has been engineered to Conceive children, you know, and 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 labor kids, you don't need to go and tell your baby, can you please grow hands? Can you please grow hair? You know, it just naturally happened. And in in the back, you know, in the olden days when they're farmers and things like that, they really just trust their body. They don't have cesarean, they don't have epidural, but, you know, because now we've med- in more modern medical People like speed, fast, convenience. We kind of just go to, oh, this caesarean, you know, this is, is the choice, right? But hypnobirthing was teaching me how to just trust my body and listen to my body. And one of the best decisions I made because I remember very clearly we were in Yarra Valley in Melbourne and I was a driver because I'm not drinking. The others are drinking, so I'm driving and yes, the water decides to break in, when we are out in the wineries, right? But it wasn't a gush of water, it was just a little bit of sip. So I kind of thought that, oh, maybe it's just more discharge. But by noontime, I know that it wasn't discharge because my pants were all wet. My black pants were all wet. So it's good to wear black because nobody would notice it. My mom, my aunt, my cousin didn't notice it. Um, but then I called the hospital and because I was hypnobirthing trained, I was very calm and I was able to tell them what's the color, order, amount, and time. And then she said, ah, sounds like your water has, you know, broken. And I say, okay. Uh, and she says, you can come in this evening. And, and that was a key I catch. Like, oh, you mean this evening? Like, I don't need to come right now. Because when I called, it was about three o'clock. <clears throat> and by me, my water broke at 10, right? Um, So, I said, okay, I'll come in this evening, that's fine. And I actually drove everyone back to Melbourne, so it was like a, with the jam, about two hours, right? And when they didn't know, you know, I was having contraction as well. When I went to the hospital, because I was so calm, the nurse didn't believe that I was delivering, right? Um, She was like, "Uh, I think you can come back tomorrow, because, you know, when people have contraction, they they, they won't be so calm. I was just breathing in and out. There was no drama, no screaming. I was like, nah, the intensity and the interval. Because in hypnobirthing, they also teach you how to count the timing. I say, it's coming. And she's like, nah, I don't think so. And because at that time, I was able to, to joke around as well. And she said, like, I need to keep the emergency room for the ambulance. And then in my mind, I was like ah uh, no i'm gonna to deliver tonight when she came back 15 minutes later to ask to usher me out i was very very firm. i'd say the baby's coming out i'm delivering the baby i'm not going anywhere except the labor room um i i, I didn't budge at all there was no room for negotiation for me at that time i was very very firm. i was very very clear what i want um and they had no choice but to take me into the labor room and then she checked me again she said Oh my god you're 10 cm dilated now because 45 minutes ago i was only 3 cm and to go to 3 to 10 cm sometimes people take like a whole day but she was like whoa you dilated really fast i was like that's why i mentioned i'm gonna have the baby and she's like you're already in stage two now you need to have the baby now and i was like once you don't let me have the baby and then now i need to have the baby now so but the hypnobirthing course really helped me because it I was able to say, okay, can you switch off the lights? Can you take out the yoga mat, take out the yoga ball? I was putting on my auditory audio as well. Um, And I love it because the auditory audio, you know, was telling me, you know, while more you welcome your baby, you know, trust your body. You know, when you have contraction, it's massaging your baby out. So it's a lot of positive affirmations as well. So, yeah, within uh, the next 30 minutes, she came in again and she's like, I don't know how to help you because I'm squatting down to deliver. It's using gravity. Um, I wasn't lying down. I was like, okay, you know what? Don't worry. I'll deliver it myself. You just go do what you need to do. When it's ready, I'll call you. So she was trying to find a mirror huh, to 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 see. But, um, And I remember work, telling Elvana, work with mommy, we'll work this out together. And then she, the nurse came back in again. She's like, you're already in stage two. You're really fast. You need to have the baby out now because if not, we need to force that or work the baby. And then I remember giving her this stare. I didn't really talk because I was in that hypnotizing zone. But I just gave her this stare in my mind. I was like, "You're not yanking my baby out. I'm delivering her." I was like, "Let me do what I need to do. The baby is coming out naturally." Um, yeah, so I kind of delivered Awana out very calmly, just breathing in and out. I've got to feel so connected with her. and it was such a beautiful journey um and i must say i really really enjoyed my whole labor process
1: um mm, so yeah i'm so i'm so glad that uh you did what you needed to do for yourself with your delivery and uh you went for hypnobuilding and uh, helped with the whole process but i really want to move on to uh what advice you have for listeners out there who are um, seeking advice around loss grief pregnancy uh yes, yeah, so please share with us your uh, takeaways, yeah. your insights for listeners. Yep. Yeah, so a lot of people ask, oh,
2: time does time just heal your grief, right? Um, actually, it was the action, um, during that grief period that actually heals, not just the time alone. Because if I have a garden for a weed today, you know, just letting it with time, the weed is not going to go. I need to kind of take action. What to do? Right? So I think throughout my journey, um, a lot of talking, reflecting, journaling kind of really helped. A lot of times we talk about coping mechanism. I need to learn to cope with this, cope with this. But what I've learned is releasing mechanism. How do I release all this stuck energy, stuck emotion, and all this grief and trauma in my body? Um, yoga was one of the ways that I kind of use, um, And then after that, you know, I kind of use. um Energy healing, sound bath, but movement activities really helps me in that sense. And journaling out at that point, talking it out helps me to process my emotions um, and thoughts better. So that is a really good me- uh, uh, releasing mechanism. The other one that I would really suggest is Cottieri tension release exercises. Um, you can check that out, and also emotional freedom technique. EFT, so what they call tapping in that sense, because for me, that really helped TRA and EFT. In 2018, I delivered my daughter, 2019, the infection came back, and this time, it attacked my face, right? So that's another form of grief for me. So it's like one grief after another, um, and and this time around, I was really, really scared for this one, much more than the, uh, the, the death, because when the death, I kind of really know I was deaf before I even hit into surgery. But this one, the doctor did tell me, I need you to know, Vanessa, if the infection decides to eat on your facialness, because it was right on top of my facialness at that time, there is absolutely nothing I can do for you. Um, people who have stroke, right, they can rehab because the nerve is still there. But if your nerve is gone, there's really nothing we can do. We can almost just do plastic surgery and fix your face up. So you, I was really scared because I was already a mom. How am I going to have clear speech with my child? How do I read her book? How do I smile, right? And then how about my career? Like I'm an educator. How am I going to teach when I can't even talk? So there was a lot of grief in that sense. And one of the coping mechanisms at the time, which I also hear from a lot of other people, is keeping busy. Society kind of praises us for, you know, oh, you're moving forward very fast. You know, we call it resilient. We call it efficient. We call it forward thinking, positivity. But at the same time, we are just... I feel at that time, I was just running away. I was just packing myself with so much activity back to back that I don't have time to think and feel. I was just doing, but I wasn't being. Um, And I tend to like to be out a lot. I don't like to be left alone, you know. Um, And that was my coping mechanism. Does it solve the problem? It distracts me from the problem. It suppresses me. Um, on the emotions so deep down that I myself started to believe that oh I'm functioning I'm okay because I can work I can eat I can socialize I can operate but really really deep down <clears throat> I wasn't if I'm being very honest and raw with myself um so this is the part that on grief a lot of them like but you know I was really okay and then all of a sudden one night I think about it and I started crying right I feel like I'm I'm still stuck you know, um, does it mean that I'm still stuck in the past and not move on because I'm still crying, I'm still thinking about
1: it? I shouldn't be thinking about it anymore. Yeah, so this is and- where the body speaks. Yeah, we get it. This is where the body speaks. Uh, so you you had the threat of uh, um, the infection aff- attacking your face and obviously it's uh, okay. So I'm very glad for that. But I really want to move to... Um, uh, your work you know holding space for other mummies maybe you can share a little bit uh other tips for listeners out there um around uh, dealing with loss and grief besides mm-hmm. uh what you just met shared, uh, mm-hmm. shared like movement journaling and different modalities of healing like what do you what do you do in your work uh to support other mummies so what i do every um
2: two months by annually by by monthly, not annually I kind of hold a circle uh, for them uh, for moms who've been through pregnancy loss, on and that as well. But this is so this is very much on pregnancy loss. But I do do other grief work as well. Um, so people come to me, you know, that um, so, uh, someone in the family committed suicide. Um, there's death. Um, they're moving to a new country. There's pet loss. You know things like that as well because it's literally grief, right? So the method that I use for pregnancy loss is able to use for others as well. Um, the grief recovery work, um, grief recovery method, right, is basically, it will go through what are your losses in your lifetime, right? And then from that loss, you you work on one, just one relationship at a time that you want to work with. And we kind of what we do is a lot of completing that emotional pain, saying things that we might wish that we could have said but didn't say things that we wish could have been better, more, you know, things that I should, I could, you know, these things are, things are like all undelivered communications, right, or expectations that we have, but we wasn't able to kind of bring it out. Yep, so in a grief recovery method, we kind of, this is our opportunity to write out and say things, it's a very guided process. So it's a six to seven weeks process that actually I bring um, the um, participants through, um, and then at the end if they would like to do more then we actually go into further coaching because a lot of times the grief we think that oh i'm sad uh, it's very surface um coaching we kind of kind of deep deep down a little bit more is there a family pattern in this in your life how about your childhood you know how how did your parents go through grief and there's a lot of aha moments in that so i do that grief recovery method i do the coaching and i also, by myly hold a space for our uh, moms and dads who want to pregnancy loss um, to come together. And in that session, we do mindfulness, we do art and sometimes, we do journaling. Um, this year, also October every year, um, it's when the Pregnancy Loss and Infant Loss Awareness Month. And um, that's when we hold events as well um, to honor uh, the babies that gone too soon. But in terms of um, grief work, Um, It's also very important if you choose to hold space for someone because they're crying, they have a lot of energy, you know, um, do not dismiss their feelings and do not tell them not to cry because that's where that energy needs to come out, right? Um, And as you as a person who are holding space, you also need to know not to take on that emotion. So imagine if I'm a coach and I'm constantly taking everyone's emotion, I will be so drained at the end of the day. So you also need to know how to release it out and understanding that it's their grief journey. You can only support, but they need to kind of walk it through themselves. Um, yes. Yeah. So how
1: do? You, yeah So how do you hold space for others? Uh. You know, with the work that you do, it sounds really intense. Uh, how do you hold space uh, for them without uh, becoming join yourself? Mm.
2: So sometimes
1: after that, I will actually go into nature,
2: just put my feet on the ground and just ground myself back again, right? Or sometimes I will also tell myself, you know, I'm holding space. These emotions doesn't belong to me. Um, so whatever that comes you know just comes through me and i do the work it doesn't come into me or sometimes you visualize that the emotion comes in front of you and you're just holding space um so that's also quite important uh, to understand that you don't need to take everything and walk with you or else you you'll be burned out before you can actually help any of the partners yes
0: so, so just it's very
2: much about yeah learning how to uh, release Hmm. Mm. and sometimes all they really need is You to listen to them,
0: Mm. not so
2: much fixing because you need to go in with the mentality I'm not here to fix, I'm not here to change anything, or I'm not here to advise you. I'm just here to hear your story and give you a voice to say the story or undelivered communications that you didn't have the chance. And you'll be surprised sometimes when they verbalize it out, they're like, Oh wow, I wasn't expecting that. That you know, it's such a relief just able to speak it out because a lot of times they just keep everything inside. And you know, internalize things. So, how do you verbalize your emotions and thoughts? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's very important uh, because, uh, like you mentioned, I think a lot of us, uh, Asians or otherwise, um, we we think it's um, it's very much a logical mental process when in reality, it's, uh, emotional is physical, it's thought in our body, and it's really important to honor. Uh, what comes up so that uh, we can actually move on much easier by uh, also learning ways uh, to do releasing. So it's, yes. it's so great that uh, you are supporting people in your work in these ways. So I was just um, curious because you mentioned just now that uh, you do releasing uh, through crying. And uh, so one of the questions that uh, you've written down for me to ask you is, uh so is it true that people who are still crying people who cry uh they are still stuck in the past and that they have not been able to move on yeah
2: so this is a very common one um because when we cry we feel like shameful sometimes embarrassed and we start blaming ourselves justifying justifying why right but actually the more you can hold space for yourself the more you will heal because you're acknowledging and it's not about um so i like to use this analogy sometimes people say but you know i shouldn't be thinking about that anymore i shouldn't be thinking about my uh, lost child and i ask them why so um because it's the past i was like mm, do you miss your grandparents if, if they're not no longer around they're like yeah i was like why but it's in the past and what's the difference and then sometimes they say oh because i didn't really have the relationship with the child right um my relationship with my grandparents i was like do you grieve for your dog that passed away? They're like, yeah. So if you can't grieve for your dog, but you can't grieve for your child, well, how does that make sense? And sometimes they're like, oh, because it's it's intangible. I didn't really actually see that child, I didn't really actually have a long relationship with that child. And then my next question for them would be: Have you ever seen God? There's just a trust that there's that connection, right? Even though it's it feels intangible, invisible, that that leap of faith, right? It's same for the child. And then a lot of times that kind of hit them like, oh, okay, I kind of get what you mean. I never thought of it that way. So sometimes it's just a perception of changing their observation of how they kind of see things. Um, Yeah, and if you can cry and hold space for yourself, that's awesome because you know how to hold space for yourself, release, and when you need to function, come out of that and function again. It's not like you're going to be stuck there. No, it's emotions come and go. They're just visitors. They're not... There for good, and they are not there to define you or they're not part of you. Good times doesn't last long, so the bad times. So just know how to, okay, I feel very sad this moment. Why am I feeling so sad? What do I need to acknowledge? Verbalize it. Uh, I like to use EFT a lot because that's when I verbalize and release my stress and anxiousness. So just give you a quick example. You know, it, it's a lot of tapping of different parts of the body. And then I would say things like, I release my fear and anxiousness about. You know um something or uh, yeah. i i release my fear about something and then i'll give myself positive affirmations after that i'll be like i'm loved for who i am not what i do i'm enough you know this is possible and that kind of just that 10 minutes does a lot of magic for me and that's something that you can do anytime and anywhere it, it doesn't need to have You've got to learn the techniques first um but then after that you can kind of do it yourself uh tapping solutions um their website it's good because they do a lot of like if you need to be motivated if you feel very drained that day you know things like that
1: um they have a lot
2: that you can kind of work on i hope that helps
0: mm,
1: yes yes i i know about eft and uh i like that is a uh, is what you mentioned a combination of releasing and also affirmations and also movement and uh the intention of letting it go out of your body plus the movement really helps. Uh, You can be really gentle about it. I think a lot of times uh, when it comes to healing and releasing, people always think of like uh, what we see in um, the movies and dramas, you know, where there's like wailing and howling. But in reality, um, a lot of times... Uh, because of embarrassment, because of uh, culture, I think we 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 don't express the way people assume that we will express and it's so important that whatever way we release is the way that we release and uh, we just need to um, develop the self-awareness um, that you're talking about. So it sounds like a really um, deep uh, journey of um, um, uh, healing, development and releasing that you have gone through and now you're uh, doing your best work, uh, supporting people who are going through grief. Um, I feel like this this has become uh, your passion and your calling. So, what do you see uh, for yourself for the future?
2: I actually hope, wish this work could spread more. Um, because a lot of people are like ah, it's very emotional work, and you know, it, it's it's very heavy. Um, they're not too sure if, if they can take it. Um, so I kind of wish that I can hold more circles and support more, especially men as well. A lot of men, um, people think that they don't grieve because they don't cry, but people really crying as grieving. That's also not true. Men has delayed grief. Um, you know, they like grieve in terms of anger, frustration. Um, so it's a very different method and so that's what I kind of do in my coaching session as well so I kind of want to briefly touch on the grief recovery method as well it kind of teaches you what are the different myths of grief because sometimes it it talks about you need to be strong for yourself and others you know our time with you you know it'll be okay Uh, keeping yourself busy um so these are like the myths that we kind of go through and and a lot of times they're like ah I didn't realize I was so stuck in that myth that you know I wasn't allowed
1: myself to actually grieve and grief will really shape for your body. Uh, yeah it is what it is you know and it's different for different people it's so important that we don't repress and suppress because what needs to come out uh, needs to come out i always say uh this uh you know when we eat we shit we drink water we pee so why is it when all these things are coming into us we're experiencing all kinds of different experiences negative ones and trauma that uh, we think there's honor in uh, holding it into our body in reality um Um, by letting go, by acknowledging, holding space for ourselves. I love what you said, holding space for ourselves. We can actually uh, be able to be healthier um, people. So I'm so glad uh, for the work that you're doing. So I want to do a shout out uh, once again. Uh, So your website is... uh, Uh, www.mindfulspace.com.sg and uh, you can find vanessa.coach at Facebook and uh, on Instagram, pregnancy.loss.coach So, thank you so much, Vanessa, uh, for coming on this show. Thank you. If I can end with a word, I would say, there's no timeline in grief. Grief at your own Um. needs at your time. Yes, that's so true. Thank you so much. I this is uh, this has been such an important uh, and yet sensitive um, topic. I'm so grateful for you for uh, sharing your uh, personal story because there's nothing that connects us more than stories. And um, it's it's it's. Uh, I know it's also very emotionally exhausting each time to reshare it. So uh, thank you so much for all that you do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So next week uh, we are going to uh, be talking about body image. Uh, that will be like the last episode. I'm going to be taking a break uh, for now. So uh, do stay tuned to the last episode of Eros Evolution for now, and uh, I'll uh, yeah do check out my work as well. That's eroscoaching.com. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Bye.